Let's face it, people have different sleep needs. While you love your partner, sleeping next to them might not always be the most comfortable. Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Maybe you prefer a firmer mattress and your partner needs something softer. Because of the individualized comfort that you get from Sleep Number Smart Beds, you and your partner will sleep better together. All Sleep Number Smart Beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. And their temperature balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. The smart beds even automatically respond and adjust to your movements so you sleep comfortably all night long. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards only at a sleep number store or sleepnumber.com that's not just the sound of that first sip of morning joe it's the sound of someone shopping for a car on carvana from the comfort of home that's a good blend it's time to take it easy like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes talk about starting the morning right just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome to episode 607 with my guest Lacey. I am Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, a place for honesty about all the battles in our heads, from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction to everyday compulsive negative thinking. This show is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. I am not a therapist. Um, let's dive into some surveys. This is from the Struggle in a Sentence survey filled out by a guy who calls himself Marin, and about his anxiety, he writes, there is a dried up bony hand clutching my abdomen and won't let go. Wow, that that is, uh, that's some Tales from the Crypt shit. Younger people are like, Tales from the Crypt? What the fuck is that? This is from the Voice in Your Head survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Pity Cake. What are some of the things you tell yourself about yourself? She writes, the bad things. I'm fat and too lazy to get in shape. I'm a burden on my mother. I'm unorganized. I can't budget. I'm a whore. I'm weak and let people walk all over me. I'm vindictive. I'm a horrible friend. I shouldn't have kids. And it's too late for me to be successful. The good things. I'm beautiful. I'm talented. Through the bad times, I find reasons to smile. I'm a good daughter sometimes. And in parentheses, why am I struggling to think of good things about myself? I'm a hard worker at my job. I did my best. I'm sorry, I try my best. I'm a survivor, and I give great hugs. Thank you for those. Is there anything better than somebody who, who gives a good hug? It's just, uh, it's like an awesome conversation in five seconds. This is an awfulsome moment filled out by a woman who calls herself stuck. She writes, this was just a few weeks ago. I had a rough day and quickly drank through half a bottle of tequila in just a few hours. I ended up walking down to the beach in my community, tequila in hand. 
There was a thunderstorm coming through, and I was soaked and standing on the sand, watching the lightning move over the water. I knew at the time that it was stupid, but I walked down to the pier and jumped right into the water. It was warm and comforting and felt so good that I just started laughing. I let myself float in the water, stuck somewhere between bliss and horror as I watched the lightning flash through the sky. I eventually climbed out of the water and walked home, but I can't stop thinking about how good it felt to just stop caring for a few minutes and let myself jump. Boy, what a great analogy for uh, just uh, letting, letting go. I mean, certainly <laughs> the tequila and lightning is concerning, but fuck, man, whatever it takes for us to let that weight go. Thank you for that. This is from the love survey filled out by Swamp Witch. And she writes, I love when my cat flops down, belly out, and stretches on her back legs and toes so they look like goofy little cartoon drumsticks. I love taking the first big drink of cold water on a hot day, the feeling of it splashing down. And I love pulling up potato plants and digging out the potatoes underneath. So satisfying. I've never grown potatoes. I've eaten them. Does that count? This is from the Voice in Your Head survey filled out by Conspiracy Dearest. And uh, what are some of the things you tell yourself about yourself? And she writes, I'm a dumb slut who deserved that rape for dating and not focusing on school. By coming forward about it, I ruined that guy's life and I brought it on myself anyway. I rebut this with... Dating is not a transgression, and violence is not a normal consequence of it. Had he not been a dick, he wouldn't have dealt with that fallout. Fuck him. Uh, and then, I was handed my entire graduate education, and my new colleagues see that and ask, what the fuck was the department chair smoking tire to hire her? I rebut this with, um... It would look bad on your alma mater if they just rubber-stamped your dissertation. Three chapters have been peer-reviewed, your CV is no lie, and you have some glowing endorsements. And I often punish myself for stumbles by not eating. I combat this by asking myself, how the hell does this remedy the issue at hand? Those are awesome. Thank you for that. I love that you... Uh, those of you that are filling out the voice in your head survey are starting to add uh, the counter argument to the mean voice in your head. It's so important. This is from uh, the workplace bullying survey, and this is filled out by a woman in her 20s who calls herself, I'm not a renewable resource. And she writes, I graduated college as a nurse into the pandemic and moved seven hours away from my hometown. How could that go wrong? Uh, nurses are notorious for, quote, eating their young, unquote. And there was one older woman who was so much worse than everyone else. She berated me for everything I did. I was a brand new nurse. I wasn't even taking my own patients yet, just helping her with hers. At the end of the second day, I asked if there was anything I could do better, and she unfolded a list, a literal page-long list, and just started reading it out loud. I went home and cried. My next preceptor reported her for bullying me. 
The manager asked me about it, but I was so new that I didn't know what to say. When I told the manager about the list, she said, well, what was on it? It was mostly related to the, quote, correct, unquote, way to chart things, not patient care. It felt like I was being blamed for her treatment of me. After I was off orientation, I was sent to night shift. I dreaded giving a report to her in the mornings. After an exhausting and miserable night, she would hound you. Why didn't you do this or this or this and ask questions and reports about the patient that weren't clinically relevant and she could easily find in the chart just so she could get me to say, I don't know, and then berate me for it. When I was finally switched to day shift, I had to work with her. I avoided her best I could until she got a charge nurse position. The power uh, the power she had made everything a hundred times worse. It was awful. She was horrible to everyone. Nitpicked me, told us we were lazy, and most of our nursing aides quit because of her. No one would pick up extra shifts on days that she was working. Everyone had said something to our manager about it, but they never did anything. Because she was so awful, I didn't realize how much she singled me out until several people commented that she was significantly worse to me than to anyone else. I don't know why she hated me so much. There were other new nurses too. The only thing I could think is that I was freshly out of an emotionally draining relationship and had absolutely no energy to give to people appeasing, including her. Over a year after I started working there, she quit because, quote, all the millennials were bullying her, unquote. How did or does it make you feel? I guess I've never put this part of nursing all down at once. I don't really feel anything right now, but that's probably because I feel pretty numb. My therapist thinks I have PTSD from my whole experience working at the hospital. Have you tried to change the situation? Yes, we all went to management. We wrote emails so that there was a paper trail. We said things in person. I tried to distance myself from her. I never asked her for help with anything because I knew it would be used against me. But after she got a charge nurse position, there was nothing any of us could do to mitigate her effects. Any advice for someone in a similar experience? Leave. If no one is taking your concerns seriously, leave. There's always another job. Even the shittiest job is better when the people are good. I know because I've lived through both scenarios. A pay cut is still better than ending up with PTSD. Take all your vacation days. Therapy has been way more expensive than my PTO payout ever was. Do not let companies guilt trip you into staying or picking up extra shifts. When people talk about learning to use the word no, this is the scenario. Their profit loss is not your responsibility. Their inability to adequately staff themselves is not a reflection of your work ethic. You do not have to pick up extra shifts. The hospital's inadequate patient care is not a reflection of your compassion for people. Destroying your body and mind is not the solution to the collapse of the healthcare system. Thank you for that. And uh, boy, some really, really wise stuff. I've, I've never been in a toxic job that, that I had to uh, leave, so I don't know what that is like. I've, cer- I've you know, certainly worked around people that were toxic, but not, never directly underneath somebody, so I don't... I don't know what that is like, but the things that you wrote make total, total sense to me. You know, it's it's amazing sometimes how we will um, just completely minimize the importance of our emotional 
mental or physical well-being um, for the sake of money. And obviously, yeah, there you know, there's a survival aspect to it. We need to make rent, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But a lot of times, I think there's also wiggle room in there. But we we don't really want to look at that. We would rather call ourselves weak and continue to uh, put ourselves in toxic situations. Uh, this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Um, one of the things that I talk to my therapist uh, Heidi about is finding solutions. To the, to the things that I'm struggling with. And one of the things I've shared on the podcast that I have struggled with is paralysis from perfectionism. So worried that I'm not going to do something right, that I don't do anything. And one of the things that we've been working on is finding ways to work through this. And uh, it, it is starting with me making lists of things, goals that I want to accomplish, and then breaking it down into baby steps of how I'm going to accomplish that. And so far, this is since my session with her on Monday, uh, I've been really productive. And it's amazing how that can help quiet the, the negative voice in my, he- uh, in my head. Um, so if you're thinking of therapy, give it a try. BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, accessible, affordable, and entirely online. Get matched with a therapist after filling out a brief survey and switch therapists at any time. And when you want to be a better problem solver, therapy can get you there. Visit betterhelp.com mental today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash mental. And uh, try to include the slash mental part so they know you came from the podcast. This episode is sponsored by When Breath Becomes Air. When Breath Becomes Air by Paul Kalanithi is the exquisitely observed memoir of an idealistic young neurosurgeon attempting to answer the question, what makes a life worth living, as he deals with his own terminal cancer diagnosis. It's a stunning reminder to live while we are alive. A must-read for anyone in medicine from a doctor-turned-patient. For healthcare workers, expand your view on patient care and the fragile beauty of our mortal lives through Kalanithi's unforgettable words. Some of the questions Kalanithi wrestles with in this book include, what makes life worth living in the face of death? What do you do when the future flattens out into a perpetual present? When the future is no longer a ladder towards your goals in life? What does it mean to have a child, to nurture a new life as another fades away? When Breath Becomes Air is a number one New York Times bestseller, Pulitzer Prize finalist, and named one of the best books of the year by the New York Times Book Review, People, NPR, The Washington Post, Slate, and more. When Breath Becomes Air is available wherever books are sold. Learn more at prh.com slash breath. And then finally, these, uh, this is from the struggle in a sentence survey filled out by a person who calls themselves uh, triangles in things, and they write about their depression. It feels like not knowing if it's an iron deficiency or my depression that keeps me fatigued, but more so not caring enough to do anything about it, about their uh, being bipolar and being on medication. It feels like Icarus's dilemma of flying between the ability of touching the sun and falling to the depths of the unknown, and when given the choice, choosing to live a mediocre life for the sake of living. 
and uh, about their anxiety. That feeling right before a job interview where you're not sure if you actually have to shit and have 35 seconds before you enter the Zoom or if you risk it all to hell and hold it. Your fear of death is your love of life in reverse. I'm a kinky person. I didn't want to be... I'm, I'm ashamed. A sexual being. Deeply ashamed. You are... I want to live... Fucking depressed. But how? I can't do this anymore. I will be uncomfortable, so you will be comfortable. Is life just a series of perpetual losses? You're not depressed. We're black. There is no real chance for intimacy. We don't do that. Without risking being hurt. Push it all down. You can't go around it. Ireland, like we don't do mental health talk. Through is the only path. No one is ever alone. There's somebody else out there. Don't forget experiencing the same thing as you. That the places you feel most broken now you just gotta look for them. Will one day be your greatest strength. And when you find them, it's a great feeling. And I'm suddenly feeling horrible about <laughs> making that joke, but that's how far I will go to get a laugh because I am empty inside. You're in the right place. I'm here with Lacey, who uh, made the trip up from San Diego. Um, you're a listener, and you had heard me l- read a uh, thing that you'd filled out called a list of reasons I'm fucked up. Yeah, the, the long list of reasons I'm fucked up. Long <laughs> list of reasons I'm fucked up. Yes, uh, yes. Do you remember, can you recall what... Uh, what I what put. This, yeah. Uh, yeah, I put a few things. I remember um, I put autism um, and the way I described it. Would you, would you like me to describe it? Yeah. Um, yeah, okay. Um, one of the main ones that I put was autism, and I remember writing um, that it felt like someone had placed a, a piece of glass between myself and the rest of the world, and, like, I can see everyone, and I I, I hear them, and I, I don't understand what they're doing, though, and I'm hitting the glass, and I'm like, someone please explain to me why the hell am I on this, who put this glass here, and nobody really gives a shit? So that's, uh, that's like, autism in a nutshell is just, like, feeling very separated from the world. Mm. And then um, I believe the reason I came in here today was uh, derealization. It's something I've struggled with since I was about 17. Um, And it's on and off for years. And that one, uh, I've always described it as everything feeling two inches to the left. Like, it's like I'm on the street next to the street that I'm supposed to be on. Mm. I can see it, but I'm like... This is this. I recognize it, but I feel like I'm supposed to be over there for some reason. Yeah. So it just feels very odd. That's, that's interesting that you mention that because I read a book by uh, a Vietnam War vet named Carl Marlantes, and um, I believe the name of the book was "What It's Like to Go to War." Mm. And he was talking about soldiers, uh, how their brains were wounded by the things that they had seen. And mm. one guy in particular was a machine gunner, and this guy said there was one day and the North Vietnamese just uh, came out of the woods and they were just coming in waves mm. and I was just mowing them down, just dozens of men. And he yeah. said, since that day, I have been sitting next to myself. That, oh, wow. That actually, I'm going to have to sit with that one uh, later because that that is actually quite... That hits the nail on the head almost exactly. It's like I'm here, but I'm not. Yeah. I I know. It's like I show up somewhere, and I'm there, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, wait. 
when did this happen? Like, right. I have two children, right? And derealization will affect me to the point where I've looked at my children before, and I know they're mine, but it's like I don't recognize them. Does that make sense? It's like I look at them, and I'm like, I love you so much. You're wonderful. You're amazing. This is literally a tiny version of me. My daughter mm. looks like someone mushed me down and multiplied the attitude times 10. It's a good time. Mm. But there have been times where it's like, like who whose children are these and how did they get in my home and it's upsetting you know because it, i know that it's my brain trying to protect me i do realize that but i really wish it would quit playing fuck around games because i got shit to do yeah. <laughs> um but yeah oh um another thing that i put i remember putting codependency i have struggled with codependency my entire life and i remember writing um it's checking on my partner so frequently and so often that it's ruining my own life. Like I'm so mm. concerned with their well-being and how they're feeling and how they're doing that I no longer care about me. It's like making sure that they have food while I have none to eat, making sure that they get rest despite the fact that I've been on my feet for 12 hours, taking care of their things, even though it has nothing to do with me and I feel responsible for them. And codependency has destroyed my life in so many ways. In what ways? I would say I, I've become smothering at times, and I do realize that. I've had partners um, who we have since separated um, that have told me that the codependency for them was a lot because I. they even pointed out to me it felt like you didn't care about yourself anymore. You were only concerned with how I was doing, and and it was almost like I was using them as a distraction from my own pain. Yeah, it, it's funny. We never realize when we're codependent that we are objectifying that person. They become 100%. a vessel for our own need mm. to be distracted or controlled. Absolutely. And we tell ourselves, oh, it's love. I care mm. about that person, and we, and we can't see yeah. it. We're just using them as a way to abandon ourselves really because it's so much easier to take care of something that's not really yours mm -hmm. than look at your own shit that's all cracked and broken yeah. you can fix theirs right or at least you think you can the as, a, as yeah. a codependent you're like oh no i can easily fix that Shh, just don't look at that don't all look right. over there don't worry about that you oh look at me i'm your savior now where do you think like, the roots of your codependent codependency come from i would say definitely childhood um i was the adopted child and um i was adopted when i was two and I was adopted into a narcissistic family unit where I then became the eldest daughter. So I'm now in charge of everything, right? I'm, I have to uh, take care of people. That is the only way that I add value. You right? had siblings? I did. Um, and they were younger? They, I had one younger sister who was my, uh, I was the only adopted one mm -hmm. in my family. I had two older brothers and one younger sister. And I was expected to take care of everyone, um, despite the fact that I was also uh, very much the scapegoat very much get to the side you're annoying you talk too much like the only way i added value to this family is if i was there as their emotional punching bag literal punching bag or here i did the dishes and so i learned at a very young age the only way i'm going to receive love that i'm going to add value to a unit at all is if i'm providing and then simultaneously they taught me that i don't deserve that love so now that's just laying these bricks for that codependency at such a young, young age. Because I was adopted at the age of two. So I didn't really have a before with this, right? Yeah, you, you don't have any memories uh, at before all. that. Mm -hmm. yeah. It was um, my first memory, actually, is of being uh, watched by what I later learned with a social worker who was evaluating me to make sure that I was emotionally stable in this family, which turns out <laughs> not. But it's fine. Fuck it. Right. <laughs> Were you in an orphanage until that time? 
I actually was not. I was adopted by the preacher of um, the church that my biological mother was going to. She was unfortunately struggling with some drug habits, and my biological father wasn't exactly uh, what you would call a delightful human being. Um, So basically, God called her to allow me to go to this family, and then unfortunately, this family fucking sucked. (laughs) So, um, Did you ever wonder why they adopted you? Um... I actually have thought about that a lot. And to me, um, my mother was very much a narcissist, 100%. I realize that the buzzword thing is thrown around a lot. But after experiencing nothing but narcissistic abuse for the last 20 years, I'm very, very familiar with the way it looks and the face it wears. And for me... And was she charming to the outside world? Oh, absolutely. They were. My father um, was this amazing man. He was the uh, evangelist for the the local church. I was raised by a Pentecostal preacher in the middle of nowhere, Georgia. So, uh, you know, I was meant to be like their little, look at her. She's adorable. Like, and we adopted. Yeah, so we adopted kind. this. She used, they used to tell me, Lisa, you're just acting out because you're adopted and you want the attention. I was like, have you ever thought maybe I'm acting out because you keep telling me I'm adopted? <laughs> like, that might have something to do with it. But it was, she took my identity away from me, right? I was no longer even allowed to be the adopted girl because I remember, like, even up until recently, I cut them off about three years ago, which, by the way, best decision I've ever made in my life. Yeah. Never been happier. They, the toxicity was too much. They started bullying my children. And it's like, you can fuck with me. Don't fuck with my kids because yeah. I'm going to get real fucking mean. And they were used to the docile, like, oh, it's fine. Whereas now I'm like, bitch, what? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I went off in the do-do-do area. But um, I'm trying to think. Breadcrumb. Hold on. Oh, yeah, my mom. Um, so she... She was very much there for, look at what I did, look at what I did. This poor defenseless child who needed me, and I I saved her. But then I was also like, I'm not going to be like, I was Cinderella, but I was there to do the dishes and fold the laundry and help out around the house. And uh, I was in the way outside of that. And she made sure that I was very much aware of it. Um, She would create triangulation between myself and my sister, Whereas, like, I was the scapegoated child, right? My sister was the golden child. She was the do-no-wrong, the cheerleader. Like, And we were in the South, so a cheerleader was, like, a big deal, right? It was all about that all the time. And so I, I kind of – I would always get pushed to the side unless it was to help out. And then outside of that, it was, shh, 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 don't look at her. She doesn't matter. She's – She's just loud. She just wants attention. Ignore her. The only reason she even wants attention, once again, remember, is because I was adopted, which anytime I ever did anything, it's lazy. It's because you're adopted. You were adopted. You know, it, your mother didn't even want you. Like, I actually, it was supposed to be an open adoption. My, um, my biological mother is now, like, my best friend. I call her, and I'll be like, hey, I'm eating chicken nuggets. What are you doing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, I'm the light of your life. Pay attention to me. She's wonderful. She actually just visited last week. So I, I really enjoyed that. Were there any nice moments with your uh, adoptive family that you can recall? Mm, nothing where I'm like, look back fondly. Um, with my younger sister, maybe. Um, mm-hmm. we, we connected a few times. But when it comes to my mother and my father, um, no, not really. I, I always felt very 
like a nuisance to them. Like I was an annoyance. So anytime I look back, all I can think about is, wow, I must have been incredibly annoying. And that's, it just overshadows Oh, yeah, the mean voice in your head must uh, have I've named biceps. her <laughs> Yes, she is an asshole. Um, now, whenever I get... Because it's, it's my mother, yeah, because she was awful. But I have named her Tiffany since. And now whenever she's like, you're a dumb bitch, this is why nobody fucking likes you. I'm like, do you even have a body, Tiffany? Fuck off. <laughs> like, what are the greatest hits of Tiffany's voice? Um, Tiffany likes to remind me that all of my friends hate me. And they're like, this is why nobody likes you, because you never shut the fuck up. And I'm like, oh, you're right. You're right. I should stop talking. She's like, good, good. <laughs> you should do that. Or... um. I have basically I'm what they would call a walking abandonment wound. And she's like, this is why everyone leaves you. Hey, d- did you forget that everyone that you've ever cared about, they left? And I'm like, you're right. They probably did for a reason. She's like, yeah, they did because you suck. Finally, we agree. Uh, yes, we agree on something. Thank you, mother. And then she's all, all like, also, by the way, you're fat. <laughs> like, just going to throw that out there while we're here. Uh, you served in the, the Navy? I did. For a while? To, was... What was that experience like? It was, um, I would never do it again, but would never change it. I did six years um, active duty. I was actually medically retired. I met the wrong end of a ladder well a little faster than I meant to (laughs) and messed up my hip. Um, Met the wrong end of what? A ladder well. Uh, So the uh, the stairs that we used to cut up and down, I was going down the stairs one day and fell and hurt myself pretty badly. Um, But I digress. Uh, It was was an experience for sure. I spent time on USS Ronald Reagan um, as a sonar technician. My job was to uh, help hunt submarines, essentially. We would track any submarines that came within 100 miles and, you know, just act accordingly. Um, it was... And what was the time window of um, this? January 2011 until the end of December 2016. Okay. Um, it was one of the worst experiences of my life while also being the best experience of my life. I unfortunately experienced military sexual trauma while I was... Uh, while I was enlisted as well. And that definitely had an effect on, obviously, my experience there. And I learned very quickly that the military doesn't actually give a shit about you. <laughs> so, um, Military and, cares about the military. Yeah, yeah. The only thing uh, <laughs> the military cares about is how, how can you help me? Mm-hmm. And if you can't help me, be gone. Um, but I definitely, I get to see and do some really amazing things that a lot of people haven't been able to and you give know me, give, give me some positive snapshots of it let's see i uh one memory it seems so silly but i love it so much is i got to hit uh, little biodegradable golf balls off the back of an aircraft carrier in the middle of the ocean off the coast of mexico and this was after i had been working for like 48 hours straight so i was like delusional but this is the best thing in the world just whacking these fucking balls and the the sunset was beautiful there's nothing like a sunset i just out there and when the stars come out and i've never seen anything so amazing as uh, the views and it it just gets to the point where you know that that view is just stuck in my brain mm-hmm. and then some of the people that i've met were absolutely wonderful i met some of the best friends i've ever had you know unfortunately in the military people do move away and so you kind of have to love the memory of them when they leave but I would never change it. Like, I got to, uh, <laughs> we were always doing something absolutely ridiculous. Like, I got to learn so much about all these different countries. Um, I spent a lot of my time go- 
in South America. We we did a whole lot of circles right next. We were like, oh, there's Mexico, and it's Mexico again, and it's Mexico again. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just rambling, but um, it was it was a beautiful it was a beautiful time. You know, I uh, I had both my children while I was still active duty. That was an experience. I uh, so my my ex now ex husband was also active duty Marine. So we were dual military. And basically, we just worked a lot. And uh, once the children became involved, you know, it becomes a lot, a lot. Because now uh, I've, I went from working 50, 60-hour weeks to now I'm working 50, 60-hour weeks. But now I also have children. Oh and my, my ex-husband is now, you know, we're both military. So he's going to go places as well. We used to do things. We called them high fives where... Mm. I'd be going out to sea and he'd be coming back into town and we would literally like drive past each other on the interstate. Wow. And I'd be like, hey, I just saw your car. I'll see you in two weeks. And I would take off. And so he, who was taking care of the kids then? Um, a lot of the time we either had friends and family that would take them. Um, I also, my daughter was uh, just born when I got out. So luckily I didn't have, uh, luckily that's a terrible word to use when referring to when my daughter was born. Mm. Um, she was not born until the very end of it. So mainly it was my son that was affected. Gotcha. Um, he's about two years older. So he caught the, the ass end of the enlistment. But we would uh, we would take turns taking care of them. He at Michael, actually, my ex-husband, he actually deployed um, when my son was six weeks old. And that was that was hell because I had terrible postpartum depression. And then it turns out my ex-husband is a massive fucking narcissist. So you can imagine the the abuse that went into that because now, uh, like I said, I was working 50, 60 hour weeks and now he's deployed. I have severe postpartum depression. I cannot mm-hmm. function. And anytime I go to him and say, hey, I'm really struggling, like badly, I need help. He's like, mm, I feel like you're just bitching. You're exaggerating. I feel like you really just need to calm down. So that was... Yeah, I'm sorry, just random ramble. Are you comfortable talking uh, about the assault? Um, yes, actually. Well, <laughs> this is going to sound terrible. <laughs> Which one? Wow. Um, yeah, unfortunately, people feel very entitled to my body. Um, I I think that's something that I actually I sent in, but it was a, I, I sent you in two surveys. I don't obviously mm-hmm. they were labeled differently, so I don't even know if you saw the second one. But one of the things I put is every day I wake up, I go out and I realize that I'm not entitled to my own body and I never have been. I am sexually harassed on a daily basis. Um, And it's a shitty way to live because I can't even get my groceries without somebody trying to grab my ass. And it is infuriating. You're talking about in the military, outside the military? It happened like two days ago. Like, uh, But both. So yes, the answer is yes. Um, but the, the assault that happened in the military, uh, the bad one, the one that kind of sent me spiraling out for a while, was I had actually joined the military um, at the age of 18. I had just turned 19 when I moved to San Diego in May of 2011. I'd been here for all of two months because this happened on July 11th of 2011. Um, I, you know, I'm like 19. Woo, I'm going to go explore the area. I, I was living in Point Loma at the time. And uh, for, you know, people who don't live in the San Diego area, I was right next to Sunset Cliffs, which is that beautiful area. And I, I, mm-hmm. I've always, as a child, I wanted to live next to the ocean. So now I finally have this ability mm-hmm. to go to the ocean whenever I wanted, right? And I'm so excited to go do that. 
And I went to go check it out. And when I got there, I saw these caves at the bottom of one of the cliffs. And I'm one of those people that I'm like, oh, I'm going to poke some shit in that cave. Mm -hmm. Turns out I was the one who got poked. Sorry, that was a terrible Mm -hmm. fucking joke. But yes. Um, So I was in the back of this cave. And a man came in the mouth of the cave. And he just kind of was hanging out there. And you know me, I, I was pretty naive at the time. I was... Uh, the preacher's kid from Georgia that didn't really understand what was going on, very, like, sheltered, right? And he comes in the cave, and he he starts, like, backing me into the back of the cave. And at this point, I'm starting to panic. Keep in mind, it's, like, about 2 p.m. on, like, a Tuesday at this point. Like, I had... Uh, there were people on the beach, and I want to point out that nobody did anything. Like, not one person even reacted. Um, Unfortunately, this man, he backed me into the corner. He ended up slamming me up against the wall with these huge rocks. And I remember them digging into my back and scratching up my skin. And uh, the way he was breathing on me, my my face and neck uh, was fucking, I, I, I can't deal with beer anymore because he had been drinking. So now anytime, it's, it's been over a decade. And now, even now, I cannot deal with the smell of beer. It's too much. And he he ended up ripping off my uh, my bathing suit bottoms and assaulting me there. He uh, While he was finishing, though, he was choking me and hitting me. Um, he kept punching me in the side of the head. He would slam me onto the, the wall. It was, it was awful. And then at the end, he thanked me, hand my, handed me my shorts back and walked off like nothing happened. And I ended up sitting in the back of that cave for hours by myself until the sun went back down and I walked back up the side of the cliff. And I didn't tell anybody until almost two years later. And then by the time I told somebody, um, they asked me why I waited so long to tell them. Of course. And they said, of course. So I was like, oh, let's pretty. keep it to ourselves from now on. <laughs> yeah. It's like, hey, remember that one time when we wanted you to shut the fuck up? Maybe you should try that. So, um, yeah, unfortunately. I'm so sorry. It is what it is. I hope yeah. that, you know what? I hope he has the day he deserves. Like that the universe presents him with the opportunity to grow quickly. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. You know what? Karma. It's a thing and it'll bitch slap him in the next week. So let's talk about uh, derealization. Do you remember when it first presented itself? Vaguely, I do. Uh, A lot of my childhood and my teenage years are very blurry to me. It's kind of like someone deleted them and just was like, don't worry about it. Um, And that was around the time that they started. I remember looking in the mirror around the age of 17 and not recognizing the person standing in it. I was like, who are you? Because I, I don't know if maybe the root of that is that you know, I wasn't allowed to have, like I said earlier, I wasn't allowed to have an identity already. My mm-hmm. mother used to tell me that I look like her when obviously I don't. I was adopted. <laughs> like I'm blonde with blue eyes and she's brown hair, brown eyes, short and kind of chunky, whereas I'm tall and mm-hmm. thinner. Like I, in my head, I'm like, I'm supposed to be somebody else. Why am I not a different person? I don't understand. And as I got older, it got worse. It felt like, almost felt like I was playing a video game, like a poorly made video game. I believed that uh, it got to the point where I had these ideations that I was being watched and that everything I was doing was for a purpose specifically to draw these people in that were supposed to take me away. And I had that idea for years and it, it, nothing felt real. 
it felt like one day I woke up and suddenly I was in the Navy and I had started dating my high school sweetheart again, who ended up being my husband. And I was like, wait, what the hell would happen? Like, I remember, and, and it's like, it felt like I would fall asleep and I'd wake back up and two, it'd be two years later. And now I'm like, oh shit, now I have children. And then I wake up again and I'm like, oh shit, now I'm fucking divorced. What happened? Have you watched Shiny Girl? I have not. Is it good? You should watch it. It is you good. Said Shiny Girl. Uh, Shining. Shining. Okay. It's, oh, it's, check it out. Yeah. It stars um, Elizabeth Moss. And it's a little bit hard to follow because mm-hmm. she has blanks. In her memory post-assault. Yeah, that's and, hard. Yeah. Um, but it's really well done. And it's, uh, I think they want you to kind of experience okay. the confusion I that that person. I think that that is so important for, not for people to experience, but to understand. Because I right. feel like there's so many people, especially now with the pandemic and how many people are affected by it, whether it's by directly from some, like they were sick or someone they loved past. But derealization and depersonalization can be triggered like that for anybody, really. It, it, all it takes is a trauma that your brain is like, whoop, no, psh, I'm going to shut it off. And to understand that, it, it, you, you don't know who's going through it, you know, who's walking through their day feeling like they're a, a fucking ghost. And these people, uh, you know, they need help. They do. They need to be grounded again. And I think for someone to be able to understand what they're going through would be so helpful. If I had someone sit down and look at me and be like, I see you. I understand you. And I'm sorry that you feel that way. Oh, my God, my life would have been so much easier. Because, you know, I didn't learn what derealization was and depersonalization was up until about three years ago. And I, I remember reading it and one of my psychologists telling me about it. And I was like, holy shit, you just described me. And for the first time in my life, I was like, okay, I'm a little fucked up. Yeah, obviously, you're not supposed to be doing that. Um, plot twist. But it has a name now. Isn't that comforting? It, it, it is to know that I'm not broken. I'm just a little different. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think the mean voice in our, in our brain tells us, you know, a normal person would have been able to cope with mm-hmm. with what happened to you you're weak you're not playing the the, the cards you've been dealt exactly. and, and it's that's like just laying another trauma on the it is on the trauma it's like i'm not even allowed to be traumatized i'm sorry <laughs> it's like how well you're so weak that you can't even yes. do with this yeah. and when you're on fire you're so ugly yeah i just want you to be aware that you're an ugly fucking crier my guy <laughs> No, but um, have you experienced a moment since then uh, when somebody has said, you know, in so many words, I see you and I'm sorry you're going through what you're going through? Yes, actually. I have one person in my life where I adore her. She is actually my my older brother who he's my biological brother. We ended up reconnecting later in life. But his wife, her name is Jessica, and she's probably going to listen to this and cry because I'm like, yeah, great bitch. Mm -hmm. Um, But she is my she is my saving grace she came into my life when i when i was honestly suicidal and could barely function and for the first time i don't feel like someone's gonna up and leave Mm. and she has sat down with me and she has sat in the shit when i was having i had a derealization episode last year that lasted almost three months long where i was completely disconnected from reality like gone like to the point where 
I'm not going to say I was dangerous to others and myself, but I was definitely not exactly the best person to be around because I had no idea what the fuck was going on. And she was the only person that's ever sat down with me and been like, you're not a bad person. You don't, you never deserved what happened to you. I'm not going to leave you. I love you. I see you. I hear you. And even though she may not necessarily understand exactly what I'm going through, she's the first person that's been like, hey, tell me about it. And for the first time, she actually wants to hear. And it's not, oh, tell me so I can, I can know. Like, I'm just curious. Like, it's almost like it's fetishized in some ways. Mm -hmm. But with her, it's, she cares. And she's like, let me, it's like, let me take your little broken heart and I'm going to hold it for you so you can have a moment to rest. Because really, isn't that really what derealization is? It's your brain. Like, please, for the love of God, let me sleep. I'm so tired. It's turning it off. And she gave me a little pillow to Mm. lay my, my poor heart's little head on. And it's the best thing in the world and i love her so much oh oh you got my feels <laughs> she's like the one of the very few people in the whole world that mm-hmm. i'm like i don't ever want to let go of you never ever stick you in my pocket and keep you so if if let's say jessica is listening what what would you like to say to her uh we always joke that we're both very bad at affection but i want her to know that i love her more than anything in the world she is my absolute best friend she if soulmates are real she is she is one of mine um and that thank you zach for being our third wheel (laughs) she's she's a wonderful human being that deserves the world she really does and I would, I literally would be dead if it was not for her. I would not be here. My children would not have a mother. And because of her, I, I am who I am now. Like I would, last year I lost everything. Like I lost my children to my ex-husband. I lost my home. I lost all my money, everything. And she still sat with me when everybody else was like, no, we're done. We're out. And I, I appreciate that. Because, you know, not everybody's going to do that, obviously, mm-hmm. but she's amazing. Did you lose custody because of uh, um, why? So I was in a really bad wreck a couple of years ago that ended up with me having quite a few injuries where I was in so much pain that I couldn't help anybody, really. I had a guy hit me doing 50 while I was at a complete stop, and I was turned all the way around. So I just had... I had the herniated disc. I have oh, a bunch of uh, muscle tears, uh, muscle strains. I was in and out of the hospital a lot. <clears throat> and my ex-husband around the same time blindsided me with a lawyer. And I was living in a very small apartment where I did not have room for my children. So now I'm struggling mentally because I did not have my medication at the time. I've been struggling with suicidal ideation because didn't have my medication. Um, I had just been in that wreck, so I was in chronic pain 24-7. I still am all the time. It's just now I've learned to cope. You know, I can't roll around on the floor screaming that I'm in pain, so I just have to deal. And then uh, with this the small area and the fact that he had, had a lawyer, whereas I did not have that kind of money. Mm-hmm. Cause, and everybody, as soon as they hear about it, they're like, we'll just get a lawyer. But uh, fun fact, a retainer in Southern California for a custody lawyer is on average $5,000. And then $350 an hour per hour to work with them. And these things could drag on for months. So essentially, I was just kind of shit out of luck. Like, I had to accept that my ex-husband was the better option for them 
when it came to living situations. And that hurt because for the first five years of their life, it was me. I was, I did everything. I fed them. I bathed them. I took care of them. I took them to doctor's appointments when they got sick. I was the one to do it. He wasn't even there for years of it. At one point, he literally abandoned us in Georgia because uh, we moved there for a job and we moved into the ghetto. It was fucking horrifying there. Like I used to hide my children in the bathtub because there were like shootouts outside between the drug dealers and the different gangs in the area. And he moved us there. He was fired from the job that he moved us there for, which was unfortunate. I don't blame him for it. It happens. What I do blame him for, however, is he got a new job in Seattle and he was supposed to move us there with him a month later. And then 18 months later, I was still living in Georgia by myself while he was in Seattle. And he ended up coming back down to San Diego. And I used that as an opportunity to come back out here and be in the same area so we could share custody. And that was around the time that I got in my wreck. And of course, now we're getting a divorce. He's angry. And like I said, my ex-husband is a narcissist. He got a hold of the children and he alienated me, essentially. I would go for one to two weeks at a time without talking to them. And remember how I said, and this is something I'm ashamed of, of my own behavior, I was incredibly reactive, and he took advantage of that situation and twisted it around because now it went from I'm a mother trying to get to my children who I'm very concerned for to she's crazy, look at her. And she he gathered all of this evidence of me being psychotic and used it against me. And she did air quotes for uh, psychotic. Yes, yes. Well, that I am psychotic. <laughs> <laughs> but he he made sure that everyone around me – was aware of my mental state and how much I was struggling because I went from having my children every single day to like I was a stay-at-home mother for a while to now I didn't even get pictures of them for weeks at a time. And uh, it, it was awful. It destroyed me. I completely spiraled out. And for the time being, they were better off with him because I could barely help myself, much less take care of two small children. The problem was he decided that now he was the parent and he didn't need another parent. Mm. And I agreed to a schedule of every Tuesday and every other weekend because I knew that's what I could handle at that point. But now that's what we have on paper. And he still, to this day, I have to fight him to even get a phone call. And it's has been hell. Yeah, it must be so painful. It, Yeah, this morning I had to drop my daughter off with the babysitter and she was sobbing, trying, like holding onto my arm and it broke my heart because she kept saying, Mommy, I don't know when I'm going to see you again and I'm, I'm going to see her on Tuesday, but how do you explain that to a five-year-old? Yeah. She doesn't, especially when Mommy used to be there every single day and now, you know, Dad has, he has a new girlfriend that lives with him, which is fine, you know, go be happy, but... Don't separate me from my children in the process. And it's it's been hell, and all I can do is smile because if I show too much emotion, I'm hysterical. If I don't show enough emotion, then I don't care. So So where do you find a place uh, to to let it out where you're not going to be judged with Jessica? Um, yes, that and therapy. Yeah, well, I was in talk therapy for almost 10 years. I am no longer just because I'm poor. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so although I do hear your little spiels for the online ones. Mm-hmm. Um, but I actually, I do a lot of dancing. It helps me get my frustrations out. Um, I, I do a lot of writing as well. I do slam poetry. Um, that helps a lot. And then I make my own little rage rooms where obviously pack in, pack out. We're not going to make a mess. I want to go ahead and mm-hmm. say that now. But what I like to do is go get a tarp. I'll go to like the Dollar Tree or like Goodwill and I'll buy a bunch of plates and I'll go home and I'll write down whatever is just pissing me off. And usually it's Michael. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, fuck you, fuck you. And then I'll go, I'll take it, and I'll find an area and I will smash that shit. And it is the most cathartic thing in wow. the entire world. Wow. Who needs a fucking rage room? I'll make my own. Five bucks, call it a day, right? And then when I was in Georgia, I would do the same type of thing, but I would set stuff on fire. Here, you can't really do that because then the entire state's right. on fire. Right. So instead, I just smash things. <laughs> but it, it really helps get that frustration Man, you need out. to set a business up for that because right? the, the line would be out the door. If there, people <laughs> knew there was a safe place where they could go break dishes and right. scream. I'm all about it. I'm like, let that shit out. Because like, I was a, a walking ball of just rage for the longest time. And it, it got to the point. I think I put that in my, my survey as well, that my PTSD is like a 50-gallon bucket of all of my emotions. And the bucket is cracked and it's heavy and everything keeps sloshing over the sides and hitting the ones that I love, like Jessica like or my children. My children, I've never, I, I want to point out, I have never laid handles on my children. But they have heard me scream they have heard me stomp around they've seen me become the person that i was terrified as a child which was my father this big angry hulking man who would go from being sweet and loving to big and screaming and i i remember the day i realized i was doing that i was like i can't do this shit anymore right Mm -hmm. and that was the day i was like i'm gonna go break some shit like this is not okay because my anger is coming out onto my children who don't understand and it's not fair for them and uh, it helps. It helps so much to just be like, break. <laughs> so uh, you dealt with uh, the derealization with your therapist. What did that look like? Um, basically, she would help me do a lot of grounding exercises, um, of sensory things. Uh, she would just try and talk me through it. Things. Notice the feeling in your feet. Pretty w- much. Work your way up. Mm-hmm. You know, I did the whole uh, five things you can see, four things you can hear, whatever the fuck they are. I change it every time because I forget which sensors are supposed to be what. <laughs> um, but that that helps. Um, there are some days where the derealization will stay for days at a time. And other times where it's like for an hour, I'm like, what the fuck? Where is going on? And all of a sudden, it's like I turn back on. And I'm like, oh, shit. Okay, I've got stuff to do. do, 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 do. And I go about and I do my business. And it is incredibly frustrating. And unfortunately, I haven't had a therapist in about nine months. Because fun fact, after you get out of the military, if you're a disabled veteran, um, depending on what type of disability you have, you only get TRICARE, which is our insurance, for a certain period of time. Um, I'm no longer their problem, essentially, even though I was retired medically. uh, After five years, they're like, well... We don't really give a shit. That sounds like a you problem. So I uh, can't have the therapist anymore because the military is no longer providing it, which is fine. But I do miss her. She was a delight. Um, she was very, very helpful, very direct, and she was gay as hell, and I'm about that life. <laughs> so where do you feel like you're you're at today? Today? Um, 
today I'm doing okay. I have been struggling a little bit because I um, I just changed my insurance, so I haven't had my medication in the last two weeks. Oh boy! Yeah, it's been rough. Um, I you know we mentioned uh, I don't know if you got it on the recording, but that I've been diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. So I have um, rapid cycling mood swings, and not like oh every few hours my mood will change. Like I'll go through a mood change every fifteen to thirty minutes, and that's fucking exhausting to be like way up here on top of the world and then suddenly it crashes down and now you're at the bottom and, and is it driven by circumstance or just kind of uh just your body's doing mm, its own thing regardless I, of what's happening around you i have noticed i'm very reactive to environmental situations mm-hmm. um like some days i wake up and it just fucking sucks and i don't know why and it's just because my brain's like sorry we're out of dopamine we don't care um <laughs> <laughs> like try back tomorrow (laughs) um other days it's i woke up to a text message that i didn't want to read and now it's not i am depressed it is i am depression there is no escaping it it is i have to write it out until it decides that it's done with me i don't have a choice and my i remember my therapist always telling me lacy you need to make sure you feel it i'm like this is all i can feel what are you talking about mm-hmm. like i i don't understand how to be outside of it that's something i'm trying to learn how to separate myself from that emotion but like this morning i woke up and i was fucking sad for no reason i just woke up and i was sad today and um you know, and then I went outside and my brain was like, oh, shit, there's a sun out here. Maybe the world's not so bad. And then I was fine again. And so today was decent. Um, you know, it was hard saying goodbye to my daughter today when she literally was clinging to my arm and begging me not to leave. But I was like, honey, I have to go cry about you to this random man. OK, I'll be back in a few days. <laughs> but um, no, I'm OK today. I've I had a little bit of uh What's nice about BPD, which is a phrase that I will not say very frequently, is um, while I do feel the deepest lows of the lows and the nastiest valleys, I also have these amazing euphoric highs where it's like when I get there, I'm like, wow, there is literally nothing that could bring me down right now until I accidentally spill my water and then life is over and I should kill myself (laughs) (laughs) because borderline. Yeah, But today I'm fine. Well, Lacey, I appreciate you making the trip to come up here and and share all of that stuff. And um, if if somebody is out there and they're struggling with uh, derealization, and any words for them? Absolutely. Or BPD or anything, anything. post traumatic um, stress. Absolutely. I have I have a word for all of them, especially uh my fellow uh neurodivergents, the fellow autistics who look quote unquote normal. Um don't let anybody tell you that you're broken because you're not. Uh you're just different. You're wired differently for an environment that's not meant for you because that environment decided that it wasn't meant for you. That doesn't mean you don't belong there. And you're amazing, no matter what everyone else says. Even the, your version of Tiffany, that fucking asshole in your brain. Tell her what I say. Tiffany, do you even have a fucking body? Well, I'm questioning if I have a body so we can sit together with our derealization. <laughs> but uh, take it. Uh, the corniest advice I can give, I suppose, is take it one day at a time, one breath at a time. Because the only thing that makes me feel better, I've noticed, is... 
doing everything I can to just try to be present. And it's fucking hard. It's so hard when all I want to do is think about everything else in the world. And uh, know that you are loved by someone out there. I would say I love you, but I don't fucking know you. But hey, I love you anyways, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, you know, keep fighting. Keep fighting the good fight because I know I've lost my ba- I've almost lost my battle multiple times. And I'm glad that whoever is struggling with this is still here. And also, if you're autistic, get headphones. Trust me, they help. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. Yeah. Many thanks to uh, to Lacey. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. Uh, if you are so inclined to help support this podcast, and we do need uh, support, you can do it financially and you can do it non-financially. Financially, you can go to our website, metalpod.com, and you can make a single uh, PayPal donation or you can become a recurring monthly donor through PayPal, or I think the better option is Patreon. Uh, and then you can sometimes qualify for bonus content or being part of a raffle for something I made in the wood shop. Um, and you can do it for as little as a, as a dollar a month, and we, uh, we could re- use your support. You can help us non-financially by uh, subscribing to the podcast. That helps increase our download numbers and bring more advertisers. Uh, and you can do it by spreading the word about the podcast through social media and going to iTunes and giving us... Uh, a nice review or maybe you give us a shit review maybe you take this as a as a threat and you and i are at war that's fine i'll take the gloves off what makes a life a good one is it the adventure you have or the friends you find along the way maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect defend and save what you believe in every single day so What makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This is from the Shame and Secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself nothing without my dogs. I'm a fan already. She identifies as bisexual. She's 28. She says she was raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment. My parents tried their best but did not have any idea how to deal with their severely mentally ill children. When I first told my mom that I wanted to kill myself, she told me that was normal and I would get over it. Um, She has never been... uh, Well, she says to the question, have you ever been the victim of sexual abuse? She responds, no, I've never been sexually abused, and some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. Uh, She writes, I'm not sure that anything happened, but looking back, some of the behaviors I exhibited does suggest that something happened. I don't remember most of my childhood. My sister was abused by my uncle for years. When confronted recently, he told my mother that he had just bounced her on his knee, and she'd been turned on. Ick. 
My mom said that he said something similar about me. Uh, she is not sure if she's been physically or emotionally abused. Uh, darkest thoughts. Sometimes I wish my parents would die. I love them, but I feel like inheriting the life insurance money is the only way I will have the capital to get out and be on my own. I struggle with Asperger's, generalized anxiety, OCD, and bipolar too. No matter how hard I try, I can't work enough to live on my own. I worry that I'll never live on my own. I finally work a job that I love, but it doesn't pay a living wage. I don't think I could work a second full-time job without having a breakdown. I don't want to quit my job because I'm finally in a job that I enjoy. I'm finally stable and doing better than I ever have done. I want to be my own person. Why does everything have to be so expensive? Darkest secrets. I'm still a virgin and ashamed of it. I have been so messed up that I've only dated a few times. I live in a very conservative part of the country, and I don't know how to even begin dating a man, much less a woman. I'm sexually attracted to men and women, but would like a long-term relationship to be with a woman. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. The fantasies that involve men tend to be more violent. With women, I crave a more loving, long-term relationship. What, if anything, do you wish for? I want to be able to live on my own. I still live with my parents, and I'm ashamed of it. I don't want to live with a roommate. I want to be with myself or a wife. I want to have a completely gluten-free kitchen so I don't get accidentally poisoned anymore. I have celiac. I want to be able to come home from work and not talk to anyone if I don't want to. I talk to people all day at work, and when I get home, I just want to snuggle up with my dogs and relax. Have you shared these things with others? I talk to my friends sometimes. It always goes well. I have a crush on one of them, but I would never say anything. How do you feel after writing these things down? Relieved. Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? It's okay to take meds. Sometimes we just can't do it on our own. Thank you for that. This is from uh, the Happy Moment Survey, and this is filled out by a non-binary person who refers to themselves as Mix. And uh, they write, This doesn't start out happy, but it gets there in the end. My partner and I have been trying to have a baby for a little over six months. We did three failed IUD rounds IUI rounds, and on the fourth try, we found out we were pregnant. At eight weeks, she had a miscarriage, and we were both devastated. As her partner, I wanted to do everything possible to comfort her, take away her pain. In the parentheses, there's physical pain, but also all the emotional, mental, and spiritual pain. I did all the cooking, cleaning, brought her treats, sat next to her when she cried, anything I could think of. I also tried not to cry too much in front of her because it would worsen her own tears, so I leaned on the support of friends. Because of my own mental health issues, I never feel good enough, and this was no exception. After four weeks of grieving, recovering, and trying to, quote, get back to normal, unquote, I woke up to a card and a candle she left for me. She wrote so many sweet things about how much she appreciated my support, how I was her rock took care of her needs, and so much more. The candle is called Lion's Heart, and she said she bought it because she feels that it describes what I have inside. In that moment, I cried, but also felt so relieved to know that after all my self-doubt about 
Am I doing this thing right? It turned out it was exactly what she needed. We've never been closer than we are now. Ah, that is... That is fucking beautiful. And I'm sorry, so so sorry for your loss, by the way. This is from the Shame and Secrets uh, survey filled out by a guy who calls himself Omega Shrug. He identifies as straight. He's in his 40s, says that he was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. Ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Uh, one time uh, he didn't report it, and another time he reported it. Uh, he writes, I wouldn't say I was forced to give oral to an older girl who went to the same church as my family. I'd say I was more coaxed into doing it. Something about it felt hidden and wrong, but aspects of it were also exciting and new. I'm sure unsure of my exact age for any of the events that shaped my sexual view, but seemed to come up with around seven years old. I was isolated from the rest of the dojo and was molested and sexually assaulted by my sensei. At the time, my parents were separated and I needed a strong male figure in my life. I can only assume that this predator picked up on that and fully exploited it. I quit martial arts later that day. I felt, uh, and then in another instance, I felt trapped while in the men's bathroom at our church when a much older male, still a minor but much older than I was, exposed himself to me and told me to show him my genitals. I remember after hitting puberty, I, I used masturbation as a means of navigating feelings and emotions that I didn't yet understand. I remember when I realized that there had been a repeating theme in much of my sexuality, the need for something being hidden. For example, watching porn once my then-girlfriend, now-wife, was asleep, hiring sex workers, looking on Ashley Madison and finding someone, but eventually realizing that the hot, hidden thing is really unhealthy, that it's not making home life any more livable, and that it's not something I feel proud of. So I cut it off and haven't gone there since. I've decided that stepping outside the marriage isn't an answer that I'm willing to further explore. Having said that, I consistently feel worthless, disrespected, distrusted, and unloved in my marriage. Yet, I keep looking for positive affirmation from my spouse, for love from my spouse, for the chance to really just be myself with her. But it doesn't happen. I'm trying to find my own happiness, elusive, exclusive of my wife at this point. I can't afford to move out and fear what doing so could result, uh, result in regarding my kids who are 11 and 14. He has also been physically and emotionally abused. Uh, my wife has attacked me a number of times, a number of different ways, never anything all that serious, but dude, it's a mind fuck. Uh, any positive experiences with abusers? Yes, she's a, one person I'm supposed to be close to, to trust, to be loved by. I don't feel those things. Well, it sounds like there aren't positive experiences. Uh, darkest thoughts. This is where it goes dark. I'll be sharing a lovely moment with my family, and nonchalantly, my thoughts go to how I could kill everyone there. I'll see it happening, then realize what I'm thinking about and feel sick. I'll try to evict it from my mind, but it always returns. If not me doing some horrible act, then some villain doing something similar to me and my family. Nightmarish shit. All of us being buried alive. Wow. 
Darkest Secrets already touched on this. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Ever since I saw a Twilight Zone episode in which the main character had a stopwatch that affected everyone and everything except him, I wanted it. I wanted to use it sexually on anyone I saw that I felt like having sex with. I pictured doing it in a way that the other person would never know it ever happened. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to and why? More than saying anything, I'd like to know that my former sensei was caught and prosecuted for his crimes. What, if anything, do you wish for? I wish for mental peace. I want to stop feeling so ready for another shoe to drop, for some catastrophe to happen, or for my kid's school to be shot up. I'm exhausted of worrying and of feeling inadequate in my marriage, ultimately of feeling crazy and alone. Have you shared these things with others? No, because some of the thoughts are so fucking dark that I fear what the other person could do with that information. I don't feel compelled at all to actually act on any of the thoughts. That's not the problem. The problem is that the thoughts are there at all, and I can't make them stop. I recommend, uh, first of all, thank you for sharing all of that. And and, uh, I think you should listen to the episode with Kimberly Quinlan uh, about Pure O, which is pure obsessive thoughts. And um, I think you might get uh, a lot out of that. Uh, How do you feel after writing these things down? Worried that the information will come back to haunt me. Oh, buddy, send in your hug, man. It it is so important for us to have a, a... a place in the world that we feel safe and okay to be ourselves. And it sounds like like you don't have that. And feeling cornered in our lives is such an awful feeling. This is a happy moment filled out by a woman who calls herself Starship. And she writes, I wanted to share this with you, Paul, but I wasn't sure where. My new psych provider mentioned your podcast in passing in our intake and point intake appointment and as a longtime listener i literally lit up and was like no way you like that podcast as a psych provider she had literally zero minutes for the appointment you know how it is so we couldn't really discuss it further but i just want you and your ego to know that my psychiatrist mentioning you means that she has passed my test of realness and i've been looking for a psychiatrist that gives a shit for years Thank you for being you and making the podcast. It means a lot to me. That means a lot to me. I really appreciate that. And then um, to the question, any comments or suggestions to make the podcast better? Uh, She writes, random, but I was listening to the recent episode with your support group friend who used to be a cop. Great episode, really one of my recent favorites, but I was bothered that in the beginning you talked about your PR decision decision making about where to place the episode in accordance with current events so as not to upset people. I feel like, and I mean this in a kind way, that you may be missing something serious here. Police brutality is rampant and so many things don't make headlines, yet they are still happening. It's a serious systemic issue and it's causing severe trauma and then, of course, severe mental illness for so many people and it is either sanctioned or ignored. So while I understand there may be moments where you choose not to have a police officer guest, I really believe the discussion of police brutality and racism shouldn't be paused in the way you describe. It was a really awesome episode and I'm glad I kept listening. Just food for thought and it's 1am 
And I don't even think I'm explaining this the right way. Your comments at the beginning just didn't sit right with me. I get what you're saying, and I, and I appreciate you, you sharing that. Um, if I wasn't clear, and maybe I was clear in, in saying um, that, uh, that I didn't want to air a police point of view um, right on the heels of uh, you know, another shooting of an unarmed black man. Uh, or, or any minority, um, it was because I didn't want it to be misinterpreted as me doing the um, blue lives matter, all lives matter uh, thing, which to me is just uh, minimizes the Black Lives Matter message. Yes, we all know all lives matter, but all lives aren't systemically uh, being erased. This is from the Shame and Secret Survey, and this is filled out by Lauren. She identifies as bisexual. She's 20, says that she was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. Ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Uh, yes, and I never reported it. My mother's friend's older daughter molested me when we were kids, and I truly don't know if I told my mother or if it's a memory I imagined. I was so angry with her that I spent two years in high school feeling suicidal but refusing assistance. She used to beg me to get help, crying and screaming. I only realized that I wasn't hurting anyone but myself after a suicide attempt. I still struggle with major depressive disorder and anxiety, but now I know that suicide is not an option. She's been emotionally abused. My stepfather thought that the best way to relate was by teasing and calling us names, which directly impacted all of our self-esteem for obvious reasons. Any positive experiences with abusers? I was so young and I've repressed so many memories from my childhood that I don't know. Darkest thoughts? I don't have dark thoughts. I dissociate far too much. Darkest secrets? Only one person knows about the abuse. And even then, she only knows that, knows that something happened. No details. I just wish I could articulate what I feel. Boy, that is such an important sentence. And I think so many of us struggle with the hurdle of how do I put this into words. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I don't know. I can't bring myself to explore that side of myself without dissociating and completely checking out. Have you shared these things with others? I just can't bring myself to. Uh, and then she writes, see your court case analogy. Um and I think by that she means uh, sometimes I say that, you know, talking about our, our, our trauma isn't, um, the, the validity of our trauma has nothing to do with the culpability or intent of the person or persons who hurt us. It's about processing our feelings. How do you feel after writing these things down? Lighter, still crying, but maybe this will give me the courage to tell my other best friend. I hope you do. I really hope you do. I hope they're a safe person for you to do that with. But thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Sending you a hug. This is from the What Has Helped You survey filled out by uh, a person, a woman who calls herself Self No Self. 
and her struggles and issues are being able to care for myself in a loving and kind way. What's helped you deal with them? Therapy, meditation, deep breathing, and opening up to others when I have the courage to do so. What, if anything, have people said or done for you that have helped you with your issues and how did it help you? My current therapist and I were talking about my issues with my dad. I told her I just want him to feel better and to enjoy his life. She said, what if instead you wanted your dad to want his life to be better? That gave me pause and at that moment I realized that his quality of life is not my responsibility. Also, my current partner is a great support for me. I used to not share too much of how I felt with him, but I'm now at the place where some days I come home from work, which is a funeral home, and be filled with so much emotion and overwhelmed, and I'll walk directly to him and place my head on his chest and start to cry. My partner would just hold me and rub my back as I get out every last tear, not saying a word, just holding me. Now, that's beautiful. I assume that you've read the graphic novel uh, Fun Home. It's so fucking good. I think it's Alison Bechtel. Is that the, is that the author of that? Uh, and then this is a shame and secret survey. Um, this, one's, this one's kind of intense. Uh, this is filled up by a woman who calls herself Borea, B-O-R-E-A. She identifies as bisexual. She's in her 30s, uh, says that she was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. Uh, Ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Yes, and I never reported it. She writes, uh, My mother was and is a narcissist and unmedicated bipolar. She was severely depressed and spent a lot of time alone in her room, ordering me to complete chores every day around the house in her absence. I was constantly grounded for my, quote, bad attitude, unquote, and spent a lot of time alone in my room, sometimes contemplating suicide. As a result, I have a hard time making friends. I remember trying to talk to her about something that had upset me at school when I was maybe 13. I was crying, and she laughed in my face. My father adopted me at the age of three, and I never knew my biological father. I don't remember things about my adoptive father, but I have suspicions that something inappropriate happened. I can't remember, and I think I'm afraid to try. I don't trust my memories. Last year, through 23andMe, I found my biological father, who had, has been in and out of prison his whole life and has a record of domestic abuse and drug use. His whereabouts are unknown. I have no plans to contact him. My mother has always made me feel ashamed for asking about my bio dad and told me that it would, quote, hurt my father, my adoptive dad, unquote. When I told my mom I had found him, she asked me not to tell my grandfather, her father, about it and confessed that she had told her parents that she had been raped when she got pregnant with me. I haven't been able to speak to her since she told me that. Uh, told me that my grandparents, who have treated me better than anyone my whole life, thought their whole lives that I'm a rape baby. She doesn't seem to understand why I'd be upset about that. To me, it's the worst thing she's ever done. Uh, she's been emotionally abused. I felt neglected growing up. I did pretty well in school, and I think that was an excuse for my mother to leave me on my own to emotionally abandon me. At the same time, she would constantly criticize me for not having things figured out, for being, quote, bad, unquote, at things. 
bad at details, bad at getting information, bad at relationships, etc. One time we got into a physical fight. My father once beat down my door because I wouldn't unlock it because I wanted just to be left alone. I was raped by a friend's brother as a teenager and I never told anyone. I've spent my 20s in an emotionally abusive relationship because I felt desperate for love and attention. He seemed to confirm my belief that I was undeserving of love and that no one else would love me. Any positive experiences with abusers? In a way, I know my mother did the best she could with me. I'm grateful to be alive and that she kept me. She never used drugs. We always had enough to eat. My boyfriend inspired me to get an education and to pursue my passions. My father sometimes sends me money, and as a kid, he worked sometimes three jobs to keep us afloat. Darkest thoughts. I feel guilty for not calling my mother or sending her a Mother's Day card. She posts things all the time about me on Facebook. She lays claims on my identity and whatever small success I have in life without being a part of it at all. I think about her getting old. Her mother had Alzheimer's and me having to take care of her and I'm conflicted because of my anger and resentment. I feel like I'm too old to still be angry with her and I'm ashamed of it in part. Darkest Secrets. I sexually abused my brother while he was sleeping once when I was a teenager. I've never told anyone. I don't think he knew it happened. It only lasted about a minute. I'm so ashamed. Uh, sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I sometimes watch incest porn, in the parentheses, though I don't think about my brother that way. I have S&M fantasies. The biggest fantasy is to wake up to someone having sex with me, which is what happened when I was actually raped. The idea of someone wanting to rape or subjugate me makes me feel desirable and wanted. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I don't have anything to say to any of the people who hurt me anymore. I'm tired of fighting. What, if anything, do you wish for? Despite the fact that I've done a lot in my life that I feel proud of, I'm still that lonely girl alone in her bedroom. I wish I had someone to share my life with. Have you shared these things with others? Last year, I started taking antidepressants for the first time, and it changed my life. I feel like I can laugh for the first time. How do you feel after writing these things down? I know so many people have had it so much worse that I'm sorry for taking up space. Oh my God. But also, I don't have anyone else to talk to who I feel can understand all this shit I've been through, especially the stuff about my biological dad and how my mom lied to her parents about me. So thanks for this outlet. You know... I really hope that you can stop putting yourself on the uh, the bell curve of uh, other people's abuse and using that to judge the validity of yours. It's such a cruel thing to do to ourselves. Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? You're not your family, and you don't have to be. Amen. Amen. And then finally, these are some loves from a person who calls themselves an average healthcare worker. I love my pets and my obsession with them. I love that I will try to fit as many pets as I can in my home. I love my fish tank. It's like a little world of its own inside my world. I love the way my fish react when they see me. Even though they know me as their food giver, I like to think that they're so excited to see me come home every day coming up to the glass and swimming frantically around and following me. 
it's so cute. I love my rescue cat. She's perfect in every way. It's like she knows she's been saved. She always acts so appreciative towards every small act I do for her. I love seeing my cat get more comfortable with me as the months go by. She was abused and she's so scared of so many things. But together we're working through our trauma and beginning to trust the world again. I love my little dachshund with the big attitude. He runs the house and everyone is his servant and I love that he thinks that. I love that even with all his attitude and being so independent, he still wants to be rocked to sleep every night like a baby. I love my Australian Shepherd. I love how beautiful he is. He looks so majestic, but it is so, but is so stupid it makes me laugh. I love that he loved everyone and everything. I love my grandparents. They have saved my life in so many ways. I love that me and my grandmother have common mental illnesses to share our issues with, even though we both wish, wish each other didn't have them. We are both glad we have someone to share them with. I love when my grandpa kisses my forehead. It makes me feel like a kid again. I love my plants. I love looking at them and realizing how much they've grown. I love how fresh the air feels with them around. I love driving. I feel like I can shut my brain off and just follow traffic. I know it may sound weird, but I love airports and traveling via plane. I love sitting and waiting to board, seeing so many people from so many different places. I love walking through the terminals. Airports feel so devoid of time in its own world. It's just really interesting to me. I love plane rides because for a short time, your entire world is this craft with a group of people completely cut off from the rest of the world and its problems. And I love looking out a plane window at night, watching the lights of the cities pass by and then going dark as you fly away from the city. Those are awesome. Thank you for those. I never, ever get tired of reading the love surveys. In fact, it's something that it's, it, it's almost like a water supply for me for the podcast. When I start to get low on them, I'm like, oh my God, what am I going to do? I need those to, to lighten up the rest of the episode. And I need them for me personally as well because they just uh, make me feel so good. So thank you for that, and thank you to everyone who uh, takes the time to go to the website and fill out the surveys. And um, and I always forget to mention the forum. There's a lot of really great support and threads there and uh, just awesome, sensitive people. Um, so if you've never been to the forum, go to the website, and you can access it through, uh, through that. And there you have it. I hope you guys... Uh, hope you enjoyed this episode and if you're out there and you're feeling stuck just never forget that you are not alone and thanks for listening everybody i know is bizarrely beautiful everybody i know is bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some